Hello there and welcome to the Go Ahead Dublin Championship show here on Dubs TV. On episode five this week, we're going to be taking a look back on a big weekend of action in the Go Ahead Dublin Senior One Football Quarterfinals. Plenty of thrills and spills and excitement across the weekend. We're going to be looking back on the four quarterfinal games and looking ahead to what's in store for the semi-finals the weekend after next. A little bit later on, our club focus this week looks at Aaron's Isle and the great work being done in the Finglas area to promote Gaelic games in and around the Aaron's Isle area. We're going to be joined by the Aaron's Isle chairman, Paul Campbell, to discuss all the work and the challenges they face as a club as well. First up, though, it's football. Okay, we're joined this week by former Dublin footballer Barry Cahill and by Dubs TV's Oshin Langan to discuss the uh, weekend's quarterfinal action in the go-ahead Dublin Senior One Football Championship and look ahead to the semi-finals as well. Hey, guys. Derek, how's it going? Hey, Derek, how are you? Great, thanks very much. A quick reminder of the quarterfinal results over the weekend and wins for St. Jude's over Thomas Davis, 314 to 15 points. Uh, Luke and Sarsfield edging out Ballymont Kickham's a big surprise there in many, bo- many people's books. 116 to 18 points, the final score in that one. Ballyboden St. Enders comfortably beating Castanock, 217 to 111. And a real tight one in the uh, last game of the weekend. Chemical Croaks just about edging out Lafina by uh, 111 to 12 points, a two point victory for them. The draw for the semi finals took place afterwards, live on Dubs TV. St. Jude's versus Luke and Sarsfield's is the first of the semi finals. And Chemical Croaks versus Valley Bowden St. Enders will be the second of the semi-finals coming up in a couple of uh, weeks' time. Um, we'll start with maybe the big surprise of the weekend, Barry, in a lot of people's books, maybe not so much in your books. Was it a surprise to see uh, Lucan Sarsfields beating Ballymon Kickhams? Um, obviously, Lucan were, I think, six points clear at one point in the game. Ballymon came back into it in the last five or six minutes. I know you weren't at, at Parnell Park on Saturday evening for the game, but uh, was it a surprise to see Lucan come out on top on that one? Yeah, it, it was. Um, Ballymun weren't firing on all cylinders, you know, compared to last year anyway. But I think last year was a bit of an anomaly in that, obviously, the club championship took place before the inter-county season. And that gave the Ballymun management team and, and players a really great opportunity to, to build up a bit of um, cohesion and sort of collective training and matches. And, and they were very well prepared for the Dublin Championship last year. They won the Dublin Championship quite comfortably because they basically had all the county players fresh and available uh, and training day in, day out. And, and I think they probably would have went on to, to win the All-Ireland Club title if um, the, the, the Provincial and All-Ireland Series had taken place. So um, I think for a lot of people, Ballymun still would have been favourites this year. They didn't really hit the heights during the, the round-robin games there that they played. They, they edged the likes of Thomas Davis and a couple of other games, but I really felt they might click into gear once they got into the business end of the championship and into the knockout stages. And it just didn't happen for them. But a lot of that is down to, to Lucan. Um, I saw the game that they really put in a phenomenal shift and, you know, credit to them because they have had a number of lean years there where, you know, there wasn't a huge amount happening for that particular team and that particular group of players. Um, so they're going through the motions and, and they didn't really... Um, uh, produce any sort of eye-watering displays or results for a number of years, but they seem to have really come good this year. They did; they were very good in their in their group matches, and certainly they were full value for their their win um, against Ballymun. I know Ballymun had a black card in the first half, but they did build up that lead 
and I think they were well-deserving winners in the end. And yeah, it did send sort of shockwaves around the Dublin club championship season and beyond because Ballymun are such a sort of high-profile team and everyone knows the quality that they have. But this type of win against a real contender and and, and champion in Ballymun will do wonders for this Lucan team's um, confidence. And, you know, they're, they've a lot of momentum now going into the semi-final. And for the, for them and Jude's, you know, they have avoided the two big guns. So both both of those teams will really fancy their chances of getting to the final. Yeah, big time. Uh, Oshin, you're on Dubs TV commentary duty for the game. Um, a deserved win for Luke, in your opinion. They fell behind early on. Uh, but came into it in that third quarter. Kieran Smith's goal, a brilliant goal, uh, kind of the big turning point in the game uh, for Lucan. Your, your opinion? Did, 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 I mean, they again, as I mentioned, they were six points clear heading into the last quarter, so they had a, a healthy enough lead. Ballymun obviously coming back into it and, and drawing the game level, but overall, over the 60, 65 minutes, did you feel that Lucan deserved their victory? They absolutely did. I want to give credit to Ballymun, and the one thing about Ballymun is they're not interested in credit; they're interested in winning. But Despite all the injury issues they have, despite the fact that their form has not been good this season and they've paid the price for that now, they battled on, they soldiered on, and they deserve an awful lot of credit for that. An awful lot of other teams would have given up the ghosts and they would have not even made it out of the group stages. But Ballymun somehow found a way and almost found a way in a game that they didn't deserve to win. Lucan were absolutely immense. I think Barry has outlined it very well there. Brendan Gallagher used to play for Leitrim, has that kind of inter-county experience. And just looked like a guy you could give the ball to at any stage and he'd make something happen. And it's always good to have a guy like that in your team. But they had great runners. They worked incredibly hard. And they made the right decisions when they needed to. And in the end, when it was down to that kind of winning or losing moment, because they could just as easily have lost the possession there. Ballymun could have broken up the park and got the score to win it. They kept their composure. They ran at Ballymun. They kept doing what they were doing. And Brendan Gallagher stepped up and popped over the free. And I was speaking to him afterwards. And I said, you were right in front of goal, so it's a gimme free for you. But given what was on the line, given the historical nature of the win that it would have been, and I'm saying that in a future tense because he would have been thinking about what was about to happen um, when he was taking that free, was there pressure? And he said, yeah, there was pressure. But, you know, in fairness to him, he just nailed it. Him and his teammates were absolutely immense, prepared very well by Dave Cullen. They've got that nice mix of a few older lads like the likes of Brendan Gallagher, but they also have a few minors coming through who all worked under Dave Cullen as well. So whatever Lucan have done to get their squad in the shape they've done, if um, whatever whatever Lucan have done to get their squad in the shape that it's in, it's worked and a hat tip to them. But they played well. They deserved their win. This wasn't a grab and go. This wasn't a sucker punch. They deserved their victory. But look, I do feel certain elements of sympathy for Ballymun. They had something like 12 players who weren't 100% fit. Some guys stayed injured and still left it all out there. Um, so there's a lot to be admired there. Yeah, Barry, a, a word on Ballymun, I guess. We've mentioned the fact that, I mean, they, they didn't click at all during the whole year. And obviously, during the group stages, uh, they came back and beat Thomas Davis the first day. They were behind and came back. So they showed plenty of fighting spirit in, in the group. It wasn't like they, they didn't, you know, no way it seemed like, it didn't, like they didn't care because they certainly came back and, like I say, beaten beat Thomas Davis the first day, uh, getting the draw against Scary's Harps, uh, literally grabbing the draw with the last kick of the game against Scary's Harps and beating Clontarf as well. And like I say, six points down here and came back to draw the game level. They just didn't click as a yeah. group, I guess, was, was, the, was the issue in terms of form. I mean, is it the obvious thing? Was it the fact that they had so many players, you know, away with Intercounty? Was that, was that the big issue? Or what, what do you feel was their, their issue this year in terms of their lack of form? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, it, it's a very tough job for, for any manager to try and integrate a number of inter-county players back into your setup when you haven't had them for four, five, six months. I mean, you have your core group of club guys, which is great, and they're playing all the league games, the challenge matches, and then leading into the championship. But you're basically getting back inter-county players who, who are sort of broken at some point in terms of maybe uh, physically or emotionally drained or you know, they just had a tough run at it um, from an inter-county perspective. And you don't know what frame of mind these guys are coming back into. They're also very much um, more in tune with the inter-county setup in terms of tactics and style of play and that type of thing. So it is a real challenge for any manager to do it. We had it with Bridget for a number of years. I remember 2002, we had six players on the Dublin senior panel. And we, we ended up getting knocked out in the first round of the championship post um, our Dublin uh, All-Ireland semi-final defeat to Armagh that year so it is a real challenge and that's why they benefited from it last year um, but yeah look this Ballymun team maybe they're going to go into a little bit of a transition you know they've had a phenomenal group of players there to, to me they've underachieved in terms of they only got two championships out of it in 2012 and last year considering the core players that they had um, but they're very much still going to be there or thereabouts um, but it, it is a really tricky one because you're getting county back players back when they're not at their peak, you know, they're on the wrong side of, of, of where they peaked during the year. Like the, the, a lot of those guys would have been peaking for sort of July time, August, as you get towards Halloween, they're not really quite at the same pitch of it. So, um, and even the goalkeeper as well, Evan is a top class goalkeeper, but there would have been a different goalkeeper in there for the last four or five months with different kickouts and um, strategies and, and all that type of stuff. So it is hard, but like full credit to Luke and, They've obviously been been preparing a well. They've been putting in the work over the last number of months. Um, and like in the, the midfield pairing of Darren Gavin and Emin O'Connella, like it's very hard to come up with a better midfield pairing in, in, in club football than them two. You know, they are two serious footballers. They both have inter-county experience with Dublin. Um, but they're just really good, solid sort of club players that you'd like as part of your team that any successful club team needs. And they, they're very good at providing a, a platform for the rest of the team to, to develop and, and get enough ball in. And obviously, Brendan Gallagher is the sort of marquee guy inside. And certainly, Jude's are going to have to um, put a bit of a plan in play to try and limit him because um, he's probably the form uh, forward in the championship at the moment. Yeah, yeah, a word of praise as well for the Newcombs. They were absolutely excellent and um, hopefully they can get Emmett back for the, the, the semi-final because he'd be a huge loss now. Obviously, they got through the last game without him, but look, there were so many guys in that team that stood up and it, uh, they used to say that about finals. And look, obviously, Barry will have far more, um, far more of an insight into this than I ever will. They used to say that about big games or finals. If you have five guys who excel, five guys who play well enough, and then it's about the five guys who you're not sure about. Well, if there was five guys they weren't sure about plus the bench, they were sure about them afterwards because they stood up incredibly well and played incredibly well. I, the, the interesting thing with Ballymun is, is it might not get any better for them next year because it's the, 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 the vote of Congress means we get the same system as next year. So it means that Ballymun have a block of players that are coming in late and it's about how they get through the championship. Maybe, just maybe, the fact that Dublin didn't go all the way this year and maybe the fact that they're out early now, they might be able to get a bit of a rest. They might be able to regenerate a bit and then by the time it gets to next year's sub-championship, if all has gone well for them in Dublin, they're fresher and they're enthusiastic and you know they're physically well and they're mentally well. But there's no givens here for Ballymun for next year or for any team. But just, just looking at that, I kind of found it interesting that if you're a club manager looking at Congress last weekend, you might think, OK, now it's OK. I know what I have to plan next year. And it's, it, for some counties, it's not good. For other counties, it, it might work out. I don't know. Barry, um, 
Oshin mentioned Brendan Gallagher. You mentioned Brendan Gallagher as well. Obviously, I think he scored nine points the last AL, being one of the stars of this championship. They have a good, nice blend there, a bit of experience there. And obviously, the likes of Darren Newcomb, Harry Ladd, um, Mark Lavin as well. A lot of younger guys coming through. Um, nice mix for Dave Cullen this year. Uh, can they, I mean, uh, you mentioned already they've avoided. Kimakud and Ballyboden in the who were the kind of two teams you, you were would be looking to avoid if you were Lucan or Jude's and they've avoided them in the semi-final. Yeah. So they have Jude's to face in the in the semi-final. Certainly, certainly, uh, not, not much easier uh, in, in, in compared to Croaks or Bowden, but still they have Jude's in the semi-final. If they can get through Jude's, if they get into a, a county final, and I think it can happen in a county final, can they go all the way this year? Absolutely. Um, there's no reason not. And you mentioned about those young players coming through, like for any seasoned player and, and for maybe the likes of, of Emmett or, and Brendan Galler, who's been playing for a number of years at this level for their club. It, there's such a high value in getting those younger players into the setup. You know, they bring a new level of enthusiasm and appetite and freshness to it that some of the older lads just probably have it sort of left them at that stage. And I know with me and, and St. Bridget's in 2011, I've been playing basically since 2000, so about 11 years under my belt. And, you know, you become a little bit tired of trying to get that championship and you do need that fresh blood to basically, you know, give you maybe a bit of a jolt to try and get you going again, because um, it can be hard. The Dublin Senior Club Championship is so hard to win. It's so cutthroat because it's at such a high level year in, year out. If you're losing quarterfinals, semifinals, or maybe not getting out of your group, these young guys coming in, bring that sort of fresh impetus and they can really drive you over the line. And also they come with very little baggage as well. So for some of the older lads who might be a little bit used to losing the big games, and, and we would have seen a little bit of that with Bridges as well. These guys coming in um, bring such a high value to it. And yeah, look, I think for Jude and Luke and when they were watching the draw on Sunday after the, the other two quarterfinals, you know, avoiding the big guns would have been massive um, for them. And I think both of them would have been ha- quietly uh, confident in terms of the draw that was made and would fancy their chances. I, I think it's it's probably uh, 50-50 or maybe give Jude's the slight favourites because they're a little bit more experienced to get into the latter stages of the championship. But, you know, who's to say that they can't get over the line? Once you get to a semi-final, you know, you're very much in the mix. And we've seen it before in the Dublin Club Championship. A lot of it is built around momentum. If you can build a nice bit of momentum them get a nice mix of, of your senior and, and newer guys together and also if you can keep everyone relatively injury free that can go a long way because um playing football at this time of year you have matches every two weeks and um, you're coming into maybe the, the, the tougher weather conditions as well as you move into november if you have your top 20 players available to you that can be huge um because we've seen in the past how, how substitutes have come on and sort of got teams over the line. So, um, look, there'll be a real bounce in training in um, in Lucan and over in uh, in Jude's uh, when they went back training on Monday or Tuesday night. Looking forward to the next two weeks, and it's it's great for any club footballer. It's it's exactly where you want to be. Yeah, big time. So it is Jude's versus Lucan in the semi-final. Jude's beating Thomas Davis by three fourteen to fifteen points the last day. Uh, an eight-point win, Oshin. Um, Maybe slightly harsh on Thomas Davis because it was, I think it was a point in it, right? And with about five minutes to go and uh, two late goals, Tom Lehiff and Seamus Ryan scored late goals for Jude's to see them out pretty comfortably in the end by that eight points. Uh, but I mean, I, I know Jude started the game very, very well. Thomas Davis came right back into it. But overall, do you feel that uh, Jude's were the deserving winners in the game, even if not by eight points, certainly the deserving winners to go through? 
absolutely they were the deserving winners. They're a really hard-working team. That's not to say Thomas Davis aren't. It's just that I think Jude's quality up top may be told in the end. And when you've got a player like Seamus Ryan to come off the bench, a guy who's so experienced, a guy who does not look like he's in his mid-30s, he's running up and down the pitch, and a guy who took his goal very well, it says an awful lot about your club. Uh, Jude's have some hard runners. Pat Spillane can cut through defences. Mannix, when he went down injured, I'm sure there was a moment of panic on the line. And Gareth Roach uh, must have thought, oh, I hope he gets up here. And he did, and he soldiered on, and he's an excellent footballer. Then you've got uh, Niall Coakley, who will get you a score when it's needed. And Tom Lehiff, just like, he makes the right decisions all the time. He never looks under pressure. And this is what I like about St. Jude's. That kind of permeates through the team. None of them ever look under pressure with the ball. They always take the right option and they're always provided with an option as well. Um, but look, it, I, 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 I did fancy Jude for that one. Uh, Thomas Davis, they're one of these stubborn teams, so you wouldn't have been surprised if they came through. But I just think that little bit of quality in the forward division told and, and, and also as well, St. Jude's bench is quite impressive. When you can bring on Brian Coakley and Seamus Ryan and there's others as well, you're in a very, very, very good position. And I hope that... Uh, Gareth Jones got to enjoy his brother's wedding afterwards, Derek. I know he was rushing off. His brother, Will, got married. A decent junior B footballer, I'm told. But, uh, yeah, look, it was a good day for Jude's, And I, I don't think anyone can argue with the result. And they are, they, they've been tantalizingly close over the last number of years. And there's a few of the older guys in there. And you just get the feeling they're just so desperate to win it. And they, like, it's going to be an interesting tie with Lucan in the semi-final. Because I think the two of them will see it as this could be the year. You know, we've yeah. put in the work, we've got to the semi-final, and again, without knowing what's going on inside their camps, but I think Barry nailed it there. I don't think they'd ever say it publicly, but I think if each of them were asked, who would you like to get in the semi-final, Jews would have said Lucan, and Lucan would have said Jews. Um, and they've got that. So it's, it's about who can handle the occasion quite well, and as we've seen from the two of them, they're both good at handling pressure occasions, but this maybe is another notch-up. This maybe is something a bit different. But St. Jude's especially will feel maybe that they've left Dublin Championships behind in the last couple of years. And um, for some of the older players, perhaps they're running out of rope. That's not to say that they can't do it this time or maybe in the next couple of seasons. But um, that'll be a very intriguing semi-final. I can't wait for it. Um, Barry, as mentioned there, as Oshie mentioned there, they have been in, in finals and in positions like this, uh, St. Jude's, yeah. a few times over the past few years. Is this year different um, insofar as their blend in terms of, like, you know, they, they've been widely known for many years as being very difficult to play against, but maybe struggling a small bit then to, to, to score the, at the other end of the pitch. It's been a bit different this year. I'm looking at some of the scores this year that they posted. Uh, their opening game, 114 against Luke and Sarsfields. Um, their second game, 317 against Plunkett's, uh, four, uh, sorry, 223 against Round Terrors. Uh, Lusk and then 314 at the weekend. Some big scores posted there over the past few weeks. So they seem to have changed things up slightly so that they're maybe not as, uh, I guess, so that maybe more free flowing in attack, which is what they maybe have struggled with uh, up to now over the past few years. Has that, has th have things changed in this year? And could that be the difference yeah. between them just about not getting there and actually getting over the line? Yeah, I, I think you've you've nailed it there, Derek. In, in previous years, certainly 
they've had a defensive system in place and been quite defensive minded so that they have um conceded very low scores in a lot of their championship matches but when it's come to the, the business end against the, the couple of the top teams and they've actually beaten a lot of top teams over the last few years to get the quarterfinals semi-finals and finals but on that particular day they just haven't been um sort of offensive enough or attack minded enough to, to get enough scores to, to get them over the line I think, yeah, defensively, they're still very solid. Obviously, they've only conceded one or two goals in the entire championship. You know, didn't concede any goals to Thomas Davis the last day. 3-14 is an impressive score to rack up at this time of year against a decent uh, Thomas Davis team who obviously got to the final in, in recent years. So, um, And it seems as well, they've got those number of goals over the last four championship matches that they played. They're not really as reliant on Kevin McManaman as they would have been in previous years as well. There seems to be a better spread of scores there. Um, his role. Barry, sorry to jump in there and sorry to jump across you. Have they changed his role? Is he now more of a fulcrum? As in, when Kevin Mack got the ball before for Jude, it seemed to me his job, and why not give him this job, because he's very good at it, was to cut through defences and take a score or get the pass off. Now it seems to be a bit more lying deep and kind of going as a playmaker and he's runners around him. And also, they just have a more potent forward line as well with the likes of Mannix Coakley. I know has been there a while, but He's kind of settling in there. Sweeney supporting that forward line. Pat Spillane Jr. in there as well. So has yeah. Kevin Mack kind of role changed in that sense? I think it has, yeah. Now that's I've probably come with, with age, but of experience as well. <laughs> that you know he is well able to play that role, but he was obviously most devastating um, from a Jews perspective and Dublin perspective when he was getting the ball and being direct and, and getting close, to, uh, going straight for goal and, and using that sidestep and and that low centre of gravity that he has to get the scores. But yeah, certainly he can play that sort of playmaker role where he's coming out and getting the ball deep and sort of trying to control the game a little bit more on Jude's terms. And I think that's a really smart play by the management to, to have him in that particular role itself. And I think, you know, you can sense from the management team and, and the group as a whole, they're a little bit more comfortable and confident that they can get those scores. Um, you know, there's been matches previously in big games where they've got 11, 12 points. Like that's not going to win you a championship. Um, but you mentioned even the, the game that they played Lucan in, in the early part of the championship. You know, that'll be interesting for both teams to, to look back on and see if they've evolved and, and what areas they might be able to expose. Um, I think for dudes, if they are ever to get over and win a championship, they would have had to have moved away from that defensive system. It's still there in part, but it's not overly um, as defensive. And I think they're just, their transitional play is a little bit slicker and a little bit quicker out of defense, you know, it's not as maybe methodical and um, whereas previous they would have kept the ball a bit more and went sideways etc they're, they're more confident in, in transitioning the ball out of their defense and trying to get the ball up as quickly as possible so um yeah i think they've 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 come up a couple of notches so we say in terms of of um ticking as many boxes as possible to, to become a, a dublin senior club championship uh, winner and I think I've had conversations with Kevin McMenamin before in, in recent years he is desperate to get that medal and, and get that cup to uh, out to St. Jude it would be massive for the club and, and for the area there if they did manage to do it um, but yeah I suppose it's one step at a time so they have a formidable uh, team to get over first in Lucan um, and a word on um, on Thomas Davis Oisin uh, like I mean obviously they'd be disappointed uh, to miss out uh, in, on a semi-final place and the final scoreline, again, was a little bit harsh on them. Um, but it's been a good year for them overall. They got out of their group. Uh, they pushed Ballymun all the way in the first game and, and ultimately came up short in that game. But they've put in some very brave performances. The brave performance again at the weekend. 
they'll feel like they're building something there. Kieran Farley will feel like they, he has the core of a group of players there who can who can build on this year a, a pretty positive year overall if they look back on it and and build again heading heading into next year. That's certainly true. There was a couple of what I call crossroad games in this championship. So if Scaries beat Ballymun, who knows what they could have done? Uh, the same as Thomas Davis and uh, Ballymun. If they'd have won that game, who knows what kind of path they could have gone on in the championship? And I know they got out of the group, but maybe the quarterfinal might have been, I, I won't say easier for them, but for whatever reason, Jews just seem to have their number that day. But look, for Thomas Davis, I guess if you've been to a final recently and you don't get back there, Anything you do after that that isn't matching that achievement seems like a disappointment. But of course, that's not necessarily the case because you're developing your players, you're developing your squad. And we've seen how tough the Dublin Football Championship is. And it's not one of these championships where you have teams who are kind of just there because they're there and they're a senior club and they love being a senior club. And that's, you know, they'll always have that. That's not the case in Dublin. So actually getting out of your group, actually staying as a senior championship club in Dublin is a big deal. Look at St. Vincent's. I mean, all Ireland champions a couple of years ago, now they're in senior B. That'll tell you how tough it is to even retain your status in Dublin, let alone go far in the championship. But look, I think Kieran Farrelly will have learned an awful lot from this year. They've got a good squad of players. Um, a bit like St. Jude's, maybe they just need to evolve it up top a bit. Or maybe they just had an off day against St. Jude's and faded in the end. But um, look, I think they can take an awful lot of positives from the season. And they're, they're, in my opinion, not going anywhere. I mean, in a good sense, as in they're going to be around in that conversation potentially as an outsider for championships in the next couple of years. So certainly if they're if like they're a team who should now be a regular of getting out of the groups and then you build from there and that's a, you know that's something to, to build on. That's something to look forward to for next season for Thomas Davis. But again, it's very easy to say, oh next year, next year, next year. Now these guys have a couple of months of sitting down and kind of thinking about it. And maybe it's about the work you do now, the gym work you do now, the plans you put in for next year. But look, it's a tough place for Thomas Davis to be in, given what they gave and to be out in the quarterfinals. But um, I, I think there's there's an awful lot there's an awful lot more positive about Thomas Davis than there is negative. Um, so they were the two Saturday games: St Jude's being Thomas Davis and Luke and Sarsfields getting past Ballymun Kickhams on Sunday. Uh, Barry Ballyboden St Enda's opened the day with victory over Castlenock, two seventeen to one eleven. Um, Bowden running fairly right in the second quarter, and the two goals: Aaron Waters' goal and Kieran O'Reilly's goal for Ballyboden kind of pretty much killing the game as a contest, certainly Aaron Waters got a goal early on in the in the second half. Uh, how impressed were you about Bally Bowden St. Enders, Barry? I was very impressed. Um, it, it was funny watching the game live. Um, you know, they looked quite comfortable um, on the ball and, and they were doing enough and all of a sudden there was like a seven or eight point lead um, <laughs> out of nowhere. It was just like um, slowly p- kicking the scores and, and taking the scores and the right options and all of a sudden it, the game seemed to be out of sight from Castlenock. But look, Ballyboden are a phenomenal outfit. Um, I, I think they're of inter-county standards and they'd actually probably, they'd, they'd probably maybe win Division 4 and, and probably hold their own in Division 3. Um, not only are they very good footballers who are intelligent and comfortable on the ball they're phenomenal athletes just looking at them live in, in Parnell Park they are in serious physical shape and um, they've guys there particularly around the middle third 
those eight players in particular, halfbacks, two midfielders, half forwards, they those guys will run all day, whether it's 60 minutes, 70 minutes, 80 minutes, 90 minutes, whatever. They have so much in, in the tank there, and they've obviously put a huge emphasis on uh, strength and conditioning and putting in the time. And that's not something you do over six months, 12 months. That's something you build up over three, four, five years. Um, so Anthony Rainbow is, is fortunate in that sense that he has this uh, quality group of players who are so committed um, and, and are there, thereabouts pretty much every year. And look, they have the two Baskels, you know, those two guys are just top quality footballers. Ryan was very good on Saturday and Colly Pascal is just an out and out brilliant footballer. I'd love to see him get more proper game time with Dublin next year because I think he can really get to the next level. Um, but for any team coming up against them, it's very difficult to, to, to see where the weaknesses are and also to combat all their strengths because, um, you know, the, the two Pascals were excellent the other day, but, you know, throughout the whole team, they were very good. I mean, they guys, they did a very good containing job on Kirill Kenny. Um, they managed to nullify him throughout the game. James O'Carroll did get a bit of joy against them. Uh, he won a lot of ball, but was a little bit um, inefficient up front. But I think for guys like Aaron Waters, who was absolutely phenomenal, I, I, I thought he was man of the match on Saturday. He's a very imposing midfielder. He's keeping Declan O'Mahony on the bench. And like when you talk even Michael Darren McCauley, who's gone traveling, you know, they're not going to have him. He hasn't been missed at all so far. Um, but other guys, you know, are still there from from previous teams. Like um, Simon Lambert was excellent at wing back the other day, and you know he provides a huge amount of experience and leadership there. He kicked a couple of great points. Connell Keeney as well. Um, but for me, it's the two Baskells that are, are the key to Ballyboden and um, winning this championship. And for any team who are coming up against them, um, you're going to have to put a plan in play to to try and uh, curtail their influence. Uh, Oshin, uh, you were on WCB commentary duty for both of Castlenock's games this week. Uh, their win over Ballantyr on Wednesday night, I think it was, in the playoff. And then they obviously played what, four days later against Ballyboden St. Enders. Uh, what, what, was, that the was, that, was that one of the big differences in the end? Castlenock having two games in the space of four days, two big games in the space of four days. Yeah. Uh, and obviously in the end, Ballyboden running out fairly comfortable winners in the end. What was that second game in four days kind of a bit of a killer for, for Kassanoff? I think it didn't help, certainly. Now, I would have fancied Bally Bowden even if they were both rested for this game. It's very, very difficult, I imagine, to get your body right so soon after such a big game. But also as well, trying to get your plans right. There's an awful lot of information you probably have to take on board as a player when you're preparing for a game as big as this and that can be quite difficult as well and that in itself I imagine is quite tiring again Barry would have a better insight into that than me but Bally Bowden the way they move the ball there's not much more I can add to it than what Barry has already said they're just they're big they're physical they're strong I'll go one further than Barry I think they'd survive in Division 2 um, I really like Warren Egan up front I, I, I said to Barry actually during the commentary it's like having a third bat 12 because he, he's very similar he's got similar attributes to the lad Shane Clayton at the back as well very very solid and they just have that look, you know, they have that strong spine, quite literally strong, and they've got very experienced players. And you can bring Decky O'Mahony off the bench. You can imagine if you're out there and Decky O'Mahony's coming off the bench, you're thinking, okay, there's no need to panic here. This is, you know, we can stay calm because he'll bring coolness onto the pitch. Connell Keeney's still doing it after all these years. That man is a marvel. He should be studied by medical science. He's, he's just a, a, an amazing player. Decky O'Mahony would fall into that bracket as well, as would Simo, Simon Lambert, I think, at this stage as well. So look, um, Bally Bowden moved the ball well um, cut through the fence as well big physical and hard to stop and um, I think it's going to be uh, a, a, a you know a massive clash 
with Crokes in the semi-final. I appreciate we'll talk more about Crokes in a moment, but I like the balance of Ballyboden. They've got the strength, but they've also got the skills. And at one point um, in the match, I said, one of them compared, uh, one of them combined ballerina skills with MMA skills. I should have said that the whole team is like a mixture of a bull and a ballerina. I meant yeah, that in a complimentary Moore sense, by the way. I meant both of them. I meant both of them in a complimentary sense, by the way. The strength of the bull and the, the balance and nimbleness of a ballerina and the skills as well, of course. Not the bull down. I think that was Aaron Waters' goal. Yes. That's uh, right, yeah. I think Aaron Waters' goal showed that. Yeah, exactly. Because uh, he, he took, a, took a, a hefty challenge on, on his way to a decent finish as well. Um, Barry, you mentioned you know the Mick McCauley isn't isn't around this year. Rob McDay's been injured for the past few weeks as well. Not sure what his situation is. They're missing two big players from their point of view, um, but it doesn't seem to really affect them. They have that strength and depth. You mentioned Declan O'Mahony on the bench as well, so they have plenty of strength and depth. Yeah, uh, and and lads bring off the bench if needs be. Could that be the difference? I mean, you you need obviously a, a pretty decent panel. It's certainly if you have got injuries, which they have with Rob McDay. Uh, and like the likes of Mick McCauley not being around this year. Is the, the strength and depth going to be the difference for them this year, maybe, uh, in terms of getting over the line? I think so. Um, and I think for Anthony Rainbow, he's very comfortable with the bench that he has. Like, even Darren Elson is there, Bob Duan, guys like that who have been, you know, really good sort of season campaigners for Ballyboden down through the years. They've Dublin Championship, Leinster Championship and All-Ireland uh, club medals in their back pocket and they're still producing it at this level. So, um, and the, the thing about Ballyboden is like the two Pascals are there, but they have a really core group of 20, 25 guys that they'd have week in, week out. Um, and I think for the two lads, they, they seem to slot in very well into their setup. Um, there's very little disruption when the two Pascals come into the team. Um, it's very natural. It's very fluid. And the big thing with those two guys as well, they're actually quite selfless. You know, they're not guys who go out and say, right, I'm going to kick two six or two eight and, and give me the ball and I'll do all the scoring. You know, those are guys that are well able to shift the ball off to teammates um, who might be in a better position at, at a particular time. So they seem to be ticking all the boxes in that sense. But I think for me, it's, it's that power and energy and pace that they have around the middle third is, is a huge attribute. And, you know, you like you look at the likes of you know, Mayo at inter-county level who are, who are primed for Crow Park with, you know, Paddy Dirk and Lee Keegan and Oshin Mullen who have this power in their legs to go up and down the pitch. Ballymun have a number of guys like that um, who are well able to do likewise. And, it, you know, even if they aren't clicking perfectly in a footballing sense and they're missing chances or whatever, I think they're well able to overrun teams. And, you know, it, it's that stage with 10 minutes to go where you might have to track in a fella for 50, 55 minutes where they can actually, do, you know, cause a lot of damage and, and, and make hay with it with a bit of a purple patch so i think for me bally bowden certainly the form team in dublin and, and possibly in ireland at the moment and i just i just can't see any weaknesses at the minute um one team is going to have to find a weakness for them uh, the next day out is chemical croaks and they uh, just got past nafina the last day a real nail-biter of a finish of a game at the weekend it was one of those games where croaks looked at at one stage like they were going to win it once they comfortably, but they're going to win it uh, pretty pretty comfortably, I guess, towards the end. But then Nafina came back into it in the second half and were absolutely superb in that second half, uh, going close to knocking uh, Chemical Croaks out. Uh, obviously, goal chances galore for Nafina in the second half, especially right there at the very end. I think Aaron Byrne had a chance right at the very very end to uh, to win it. A goal would have obviously won it, and it, it didn't uh, it didn't materialize. Uh, your opinion, Barry, I guess, on the Nafina. 
Croaks game. You were obviously on Dubs TV uh, co-commentary yeah. duty with Oshin. Um, again, you, you could argue maybe that uh, Croaks were a little bit lucky to, to get out of there alive, considering the, the goal chances that Nafina had. But do you feel overall that the result was was deserved? Um, just about. Uh, I. I... Those last few minutes was a bit of a scramble for Kilmacud Croaks, and obviously only with a two-point lead, a goal would have actually knocked them out of the championship. So they did live precariously there for the last few minutes and into injury time. I certainly was impressed with them in the first half because I expected a lot from this Nafina team. You know, within Dublin GA circles, we've been talking about Nafina coming for a number of years, and they haven't quite delivered at all, apart from uh, they, they beat Ballymun a couple of years ago under Desi Farrell and all these great minor players and minor championships that they won, and you know, a sprinkling of intercounty stars as well. And um, they hadn't really produced it, and I was very disappointed with them in the first half. I thought they were very lackluster, very little energy about them, um, going through the motions a little bit. And certainly, uh, you, you mentioned it there, Derek, you know, Kilmacud Croaks um, were comfortable and they just had Nafina at arm's length, really. You know, they had that four or five point lead, weren't really stretched at all. And it was funny because it was only really after Connor McHugh went off at half time and Owen Merchant went off at the start of the second half. And it sort of felt like, you know, Nafina had nothing to lose here. We're after losing two of our main guys. It looks like we're going out of the championship. Let's have a go and bring it on Sean Caffrey. You know, people might have said he should have started. Like he was absolutely phenomenal in that second half. He scored four from play, was a constant danger. He looked like he was going to score every single time he got the ball. He was absolutely phenomenal. Um, the performance he put in and the Fina were very, very unlucky to not at least bring to extra time. Um, you know, a goal at the death obviously would have won it for them because they, they were only behind by two points. There was a mad scramble and Aaron Byrne just didn't get it enough uh, sort of power on his punch. It was, it was a weak enough effort that was scrambled off the line. But uh, Nafina actually had a goal chance about five minutes earlier than that. And Rory O'Carroll put in a phenomenal last-ditch block. So Kilmacud did look comfortable for long periods of the game, but it was only when Nafina started to, to run at them directly. And, you know, you had Owen Merchant and, and these guys with the ball, you know, deep in their own half in the first half, whereas I would have much preferred to see them running at pace at Kilmacud Croaks to try and expose them in the Kilmacott Croaks half as such. And it was only when they went decided to go for it that um, they looked like a really serious outfit. So I think Nafina will have a few regrets in terms of not actually going for it that bit earlier. It, you know, of all this, all the um, matches in the quarterfinals, this was a great game for Kilmacott Croaks to have under their belt going into the semi-final because it was a real serious test in the second half. It ended up being sort of back to the wall. It was point, point for point for a number of stages. And, you know, winning a tight game like that in that type of manner really does build confidence. So um, they won't fear Ballyboden, but they'll certainly have to up their performance, I feel, by one or two notches if they are to to to, um, to try and get over to that semi-final. Yeah, Oshin, um, as as Barry mentioned there, I think um, Robbie Brennan, the chemical Crocs manager, speaking to Shane Stapleton on Dubs TV after the game, and he said they had to dig deep to win the game. That was one of the big things. He was delighted that they had to dig deep to win the game because they have been winning games. I won't say again comfortably, but they've been winning games and playing decent free-flowing attacking football. And this is maybe one of the first oh, games. Oh, Crows lads are soft. That's what you're saying, Derek, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Crows lads were soft. Yeah, no, no. I get what you're yes. saying. I, I, I got the subtle dick. No, but you are. Yeah, jokes yes, aside. Yes. Uh, <laughs> jokes aside, it was good to see them digging deep like that because they did. And maybe there was a question mark there. And maybe they've answered that question, but not fully because I suppose 
if you look at the four teams who are left in the championship now, the only satisfactory result for them in the championship is to win it. Anything else is a disappointment. But they, they dug deep, but they lived on their nerves. I mean, Barry mentioned it there. Rory O'Carroll, how immense was he? I mean, he was amazing for Kilmico Crow. Popped up where he needed to. There seemed to be about two or three Rory O'Carrolls out there. Um, Paul Mannion worked incredibly hard, although they didn't over-rely on him, which is a good sign from uh, Kilmico Crow. Shane Cunningham, as I call him. Uh, Paul Mannion's twin, Shane Cunningham, did very well. Shane Horan kicked some nice scores. So look, they, they, they dug it out. They probably made it a bit more difficult on themselves than they needed to. I think Barry has a, raised a good point there that funnily enough, in the second half, Nafina just maybe had a kind of a, well, you know what, let's just have a go here. Um, Owen Merchant and Barry picked it up in the first half. I said, oh, that's a, that's a surging run from Owen Merchant. We haven't seen too much of that. And Barry said, yeah, but it's, it's inside his own half. And then he and McHugh, well, Merchant went off early in the second half. McHugh went off at time. Obviously, the two of them, weren't playing 100% fit. I get why you'd start them. Like, if you've got players like that and they're in any way fit, then you probably do have to start them. But, like, Sean Caffrey gave one of the performances of the championship coming on at half time. But look, for Kilmacud Crokes, they'll go on with a bit of confidence. But also, it's that ideal situation of they got a bit rattled, they gave away chances, but somehow they found a way through. Now, against Bally Bowden, they can kind of do a lot of what Castle Knott did. But from the Croke's point of view, they'll hope to be able to do it a bit better because they've got an older squad. Castellanos, by and large, have a lot of young players. I know they've got still experienced players out there like Shane Boland and Graham Hannigan and boys like that, but they've got a lot of guys who are very good footballers, but they're quite young. For Croke's, they've got that nice balance of that bit of physicality, that bit of experience. So if there's anyone who can get out, get out Valley Bowden and get behind them and get the scores they need, it is probably Kilmacud Croke's. Uh, and Barry uh, Oshin mentioned there some of the guys. I mean, they're like obviously Paul Mannion's kind of the star man. Everybody knows about him, but they have other op- options in there. You know, it's not like you can mark Paul Mannion out of the game, and therefore that nullifies the chemical Croaks attack. They have other players there: Hugh Kenny, Tom Fox, Shane Cunningham, Darren Mullen, who scored a cracker of a goal at the weekend. Plenty of talent in that attack. That yeah. you know, you can't you can't just focus on on the Paul Mannion. Uh, problem on, on on one corner and and hope and hope that the other guys stay quiet. They have plenty of of talent in that attack, which could again uh, be the difference in terms of uh, their semi final against Valley Bowden's and Endes. Yeah, they had a nice spread of scores um, against Nafina, and uh, you know that Nafina defense is a very good quality defense as well. So very impressed with Darren Mullen. I think um, his goal was absolutely top class, and he got a very important point as well. I think um, Nafina got it back to a point at one stage, and, and Darren Mullen kicked a really good score at an important stage with about ten minutes to go. I think I'd like Kilmacud Crokes to get him on a bit more ball. I think he was a little bit starved in terms of being a little bit uh, not as direct as they should be to getting the ball into him because I think he had the beating of his man and he had obviously that 1-1 under his belt as well but just didn't get as many possessions. Shane Horn was outstanding, the, the Offaly guy, um, particularly in the first half. He was probably the best player on the pitch in the first half. Got a couple of really nice points, looked very comfortable on the ball around that middle third. And yeah, look, Paul Mannion only got a point, I think, on, on Sunday, you know, at a one eleven, so they certainly weren't over reliant. You know, Nafina probably had had a bit of a, a focus on him naturally, as will Bally Bowden. But you know, Paul is very much a big game player on, on a big game day, so he'll be looking to to do a lot more damage against Bally Bowden, and and he is great pedigree and form there in terms of racking up high scores in in Dublin Senior Championship semi finals and finals. 
going back the last eight, nine years. So um, I'd expect another level of uh, performance out of him. But certainly um, special mention to, to Craig Diaz. I thought he was outstanding. You know, he's a guy that's been around the block for a number of years. He, he was on our 2011 Dublin All-Ireland winning panel. Um, a lot of time for Craig as, as a footballer. And he just links the play really well. There's, there's no nonsense. You know, he does it simple, but he's very effective. Kicked a lovely point in the first half as well. Goes about his business. And he's probably one of their key players, if I'm honest. And if, if I was coming up against um, Kilmacud Croaks this weekend in, in a match, I'd be trying to limit his effectiveness because he certainly um, makes a lot of good things happen for Croaks. Yeah, he was absolutely immense, Craig. And he's just a good fella as well. Like, um, And he's worked incredibly hard over the years with Croaks. And he's been desperately unlucky not to get more game time with Dublin, perhaps. Uh, just on a bit of an aside, as people may be aware, I, I would be a Croaks member. And in Croaks, we occasionally do an internal Football 7s competition. And it's all mixed up. So you could be like me, Junior F. You know, I'll take Junior G if it's available. Um, but you could be playing beside some of the senior guys. And I was playing in a team with Craig. And genuinely, even though I'm actually older than Craig, and at this stage, I was well into my 30s, I was starstruck by the guy. But um, he's just, he's a, he's, a, he's a really good fella. Really, really good fella. And um, I was delighted to see him play so well out there because he no one no one takes football more seriously than him no one loves that club more than him I hope you gave uh, Robbie Brennan something to think about with your with your training performance Oshin <laughs> I told Robbie I told Robbie I told Robbie listen here um, take me for the final Langy's a big game player <laughs> I'm not going to bother with this not going to bother with the not going to bother with the first round stuff quarter final stuff semi final can't start working November, anyway yeah. Robbie yeah, that's it, yeah. An athlete, a prime athlete like me, <laughs> peaks in November. You'll walk into the team. The uh, I, actually, I actually, on, well. a, on an aside, right, I've always been curious to do this experiment. I wonder, could I survive even one hit on that pitch? I doubt it very much. I think you'd actually <laughs> have to pad me up. Like, actually, like watching the hits and hearing them and seeing the collisions, and it's not like they're dirty. It's just guys going shoulder to shoulder. The strength of physicality, it is absolutely frightening like it is frightening to and that's not just the semi-finals and quarter-finals and the latter stages it's actually you know the first round and you drop into division or senior two and intermediate it's the same the work that these guys and girls do because i know the ladies final is on this weekend as well the same thing there um to, to get themselves in prime physical shape because you you'd have a lot of talented footballers out there but actually the difference is is the people who play at the top grade for club or county are the ones who do the work outside of that it's i won't say it's easy to be a skillful footballer but it's the people who put in the gym work and live a life because you have to live the life as well you have to eat well and sleep well treat yourself and it's, it's, it's like it's not easy so my admiration for these people is absolutely off the chart don't mess with them i think is the is the message there um yeah. quick before we go i'm going to ask you your uh, predictions for the semi-finals i'm going to put you on the spot here so we're going to start with the uh, St. Jude's versus Luke and Sarsfield. Oshin, we'll start with yourself for this one. Jude's versus Luke and Sarsfield. How do you see this one going? Yeah, I knew you'd put me first this time. Uh, yeah. Jude's against Luke, and I, um, I love a lot of what the two of them do. I love how they both play. I think Jude's have evolved up top, and as we were talking about there earlier on, Kevin McManaman is kind of a fulcrum. Now, he can still do those starting runs. Maybe he just can't do as many of them. So for that reason, I'm going to go with St. Jude's. But, listen, I could be left with an awful lot of egg on my face. I think there'll be two tight games, but um, I just uh, I just have a fancy for St. Jude. And Barry? 
Yeah, uh, likewise for me. Um, I think the students have evolved a little bit in terms of their game plan. Um, they're not as reliant on their defensive system to keep the scores out and, and, and sneak a win. I think they have a bit more firepower up front, but more around it's more around the, the side of play and the fact that they are willing to, to commit bodies forward. They are willing to, to keep more players up in the opposition half and the transition from their play is a lot more direct than it had been in previous years. Um, so for that reason, I'm going to go with Jude's to, to edge that one by a couple of points. And then, Barry, we'll start with you for this one. Kimmel Cook-Krogs versus Bally Bones at end is probably the, the big one, the semi-final that people, well, a lot of people will be looking forward to this one in particular. How do you see this one going? Yeah, it's interesting because people, a lot of people would have felt maybe this would be the dream final. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it goes because both teams, they they know each other very well. You know, they, they, they obviously play each other every year in terms of the league. They played each other in the championship on regular occasions in, in recent years. So um, there's no hidden secrets here. There's no there's no one that's going to come out of nowhere and, and win the game for either of the team. I think for Kilmacud Croaks, certainly I referenced it earlier, that Nafina game will really bring them on. Like it really, it really will sort of galvanize the team a bit more. It will um, that display of resilience um, at the death of the game to 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 stay in the championship essentially against a good Nafina team um, is something that they'll bring into training this week and certainly bring into the game. Um, I think they will need more from Paul Mannion. Um, he had a very good game the other day, but I think they'll need more from Paul from a sc- on, a, on the scoreboard perspective um, in terms of get, get, keeping them closer to goal. I think they'll do that a bit more. He, he did seem to come a little bit deep um, against Nafina. My, my preference certainly would be, if I was involved in Croaks, to keep him uh, as close to the opposite goal as possible. And if I, if I was a defender with Bally Bowden and I saw Paul Mannion 70, 80 yards away from my goal, I'd be delighted. So I think they'll move him closer to the goal to see if they can get a couple of goals there. I think they need to get more ball into Darren Mullen, who I think is a very effective player with massive potential. Um, and from Bally Bowden's side, I think it's just business as usual for them. You know, they are so well drilled they have such a, a sort of solid structure and spine to the team that Oshin has referenced um you know they go about their business very very comfortably um they all know each other inside out at this stage but so i'm gonna go with bally bowden on this one just by a couple of points um i just think that they are they've no real weaknesses and i, I can just see them maybe steamrolling is a strong word but maybe just their power and athleticism is something that could really benefit them with a few minutes to go in the game and they'll get the scores to get the win Okay and Oshin? Uh, well obviously my phone has been off for the duration of this so if I have missed a call from Robbie Brennan and I get the shout for this then obviously you have to go with Croke uh, No look jokes aside I, 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 I'd agree with Barry I'd, I'd go with Bally Bowden just um, for all the reasons that he's outlined I do wonder if you're Croaks, do you man-mark the Baskwells and Warren Egan or is there any point in that because you know, you, then you've got the likes of Darren O'Reilly and Aaron Waters who can run at you and others as well. For Bally Bowden, do you man-mark Paul Mannion and take the risk that... Um, uh, uh, do you give him special attention and then you take the risk that the likes of Horn and Cunningham could do damage? And it's about those guys stepping up. And we've seen it in the Championship already. They absolutely can. So, it's like, tactics and your plan in this is, is very, very important. And I think you've got two really good tacticians and two really good planners in the shape of Anthony Rainbow and uh, Robbie Brennan and the teams around them as well, obviously, because the football is all about that now. It's not about the managers, but the teams around them. There are so many subplots, um, like Bally Bowden's transition, can Crooks break that down? 
can Croak turn it over and do damage high up the park? Um, Bally Bowden, the last day out, we saw them, like Shane Clayton was coming up to the 65 practically a lot of the time and taking ball comfortably, but Timical Croak would be a bit different to Castleknock. However, at times, and Barry has referenced it earlier on, Castleknock did get in behind. They just didn't do enough damage with Lindy. And maybe they just didn't do it often enough, but they did do it. And I wonder, do Croaks look at that, Barry? And that's, this, is, this, is, yeah. this is me foisting responsibility. I wonder, do Croaks look at that and say, you know what, there's something here we can mm. actually employ maybe a similar game to, plan to Castleknock and hope it works better. Do you think they could do that? Yeah, I think so. Because Seamus O'Carroll got a lot of joy in terms of winning primary possession uh, close to goal. I, I think he probably had five or six shots in the game and only got maybe one of them and he had a goal chance as well just before half time. So certainly if you're looking back on that video, you could say, okay, geez, if we can get Paul Mannion onto that level of ball or that amount of ball or Darren Mullen, you know, we, we could be in here. Um, in terms of the, the man marking, I think Kilmacud Croaks have a very good centre-back in Killian O'Shea. So I think Killian O'Shea versus Collie Baskell it could be the winning of the game, you know, if 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 Killian can do a job and on Collie Baskell and, and limit his effectiveness, um, that would go a long way towards um a Kilmacud Croaks victory. So yeah, a lot of subplots and even the kick out strategy, um Bally Bowden went short a lot of the time because Castleknock allowed it. Um do they have to go longer in in, in the against Kilmacud Croaks, which maybe might play into Kilmacud Croaks' hands a little bit. They seem to be very good on the breaking ball against Nafina um and they have a couple of good fielders as well. But um it would yeah two weeks two weeks is a nice bit of time to actually put a plan in place um in terms of the the, the immediate few days after the quarter final and then start communicating out to the team you know maybe 10 days out from the semi-final what you want to work on or where you feel you're going to get a bit of joy so yeah I certainly think there's going to be there there would have been a lot of video analysis over the last two or three days from both management teams um to see if there's any little gap or any little um area that they could try and exploit but you know both well both teams don't have a huge amount of weaknesses so it'll be very marginal and even from the kickouts up to now, you'd say for Croke, they had a guaranteed ball winner from a kickout. If they needed to go long, if the short thing wasn't working out, Craig Diaz gets up and he gets it. Bally Bowden probably has the artillery to take on Diaz and vice versa, yeah. by the way, on the other side. So, like, the kickout strategy is vital. Derek, we could be actually talking about this for another couple of hours. And I really <laughs> need to watch back the two semi-finals 10 more times to give you, um, you know, to, to kind of break down each individual battle. I think that the would matchups, be The matchups phenomenal. will be yeah. important. Yeah, you know the matchups will be very important. So yeah, and and then it's about again going back to that thing of you'll always have five guys who play well, five guys who break even, and then it's about the other five guys what they can do. It could be like that. But look, I look on on form and from what we've seen so far, um, I would I would my 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 tip would be Bally Bowden. But I, like for all the things that we've just discussed there, I think it be it could be a close match. And uh, Derek, you could be in for a long night because I think we might be getting extra time and. Potentially, potentially penalties because obviously this has to end and on the day. And substitutes as well. You know, maybe the Bally Bowden bench edges it, but McGowan was missing for Kilmacud Croaks the last day. He was a, he was a late uh, withdrawal. So if they can get him back into the fray um, for this game, it, it could be a difference maker as well. Okay, so you haven't really answered my question at all, really. And so far, who's going to win? Well, Barry, Barry gave us Bally Bowden. We'll, we'll take that one. Oh, I, gave you, I, I gave you Bally Bowden as well, but I gave you many reasons okay. why it might be Croke or Bally Bowden. <laughs> Just covering themselves. Exactly. Exactly. Listen, uh, I, I uh, should go back Barry, to the clubhouse, lad. Yes, yes. <laughs> Barry and Oshin, thanks a million for joining us. Looking forward to two uh, fantastic semi-finals coming up. St. Jude's versus Luke and Sarsfields on Saturday, 6th of November, 5.15, uh, throw in for that one. 
and Chemical Croaks versus Bally Bowdens, and then the seven o'clock throw in Parnell Park Saturday, the 6th of November. Barry and Oshin, thanks for joining us. Cheers, guys. Thank you, Derek. Okay, welcome back. Now it's time for our club focus slot, and I'm delighted to be joined by the Erin's Isle chairman, Paul Campbell. Paul, thanks a million for joining us this week. No problem, Derek. Thank you. Um, I guess, Paul, you can start off by telling us a little bit about Erin's Isle. You're one of the older clubs, I guess, in Dublin, a club that a lot of people would know about for many, many generations. Tell us about, I guess, where you're based, uh, how long you're in existence, and general information about Erin's Isle. Yeah, um, Grant. Yeah, so our club is situated in Fingus, like Dublin 11. Um, it was established 104 years ago uh, in 1917. And, and by returning um, men that were in captivity in Wales after the 1916 rising. So our, our colours are green to represent Ireland and black to represent the patriots that were killed in uh, the 1916 rising. Um, Numbers-wise, we have approximately 1,800 members and about 1,000 of them will be playing members. Um, within the catchment area, we've uh, 13 schools um, and they're all classified as DESH schools, so I think we have to be cognizant of, of the people that live in the area, as in, you know, we're probably not as lucky as some of our near neighbours or our neighbours where, you know, we can charge a high membership so our revenue has to be generated elsewhere um, and a lot of times some of our membership is a lost leader um, and we have to position ourselves in that way just to attract some young kids uh, into our club um, the marshalling of our schools is done by our excellent GPO Laura Carroll and um, on the downside um, she does play for the Castlock ladies football team but on the plus side she has um I think she's she's kind of uh, bought into our ethos of continually uh, striving to improve ourselves, um, and we have seen a big influx of of kids uh, post COVID, um, and a lot of that would be would be down to her. Um, in relation to the juvenile section, um, so there has been some great work done over the last decade. Um, we kind of dropped the ball in the nineties after our. We had a, a lot of adult success, but we didn't capitalise on it. So probably over the last 10 years, we've, we've had a fantastic juvenile committee and coaches, um, coaching our players and coaching our coaches. And we do have a, a strategic plan that has been somewhat um, um, delayed due to COVID, but it's headed by some very talented individuals in Shane Casey and Kieran O'Hare um, and they will be rolling that out and the whole premise of that is to is to get our kids to reach their potential um, and that's both on and off the pitch and um, on the field it's it's to you know improve the style and manner that we play and it's improve the strength and condition of our players and um, and to have a better transition between our juvenile section into the adult section. Um, and then off the field, um, again, you know, it, it has been delayed by COVID, but, you know, for the last six to eight years, we've had a very uh, hugely successful educational programme 
So um, our club provides seat tutorial and grinds for 56 years. Um, just trying to encourage as many of them as possible to try and get into college. Um, they get the best level of education that they can get. Um, and then when they get into college, the club will provide a bursary for, you know, maybe entry fees, um, some costs that they may occur, or, uh, or maybe money towards a laptop or some sort of electronic device that they need. Um, and then when they get into college, then um, we'll also provide a mentorship program. So dependent on what you, um, what course, whether it's uh, maybe computer science or accountancy, then we'll pair them up with maybe a computer scientist or a computer graduate or an accountant within the club, just to help them in that first one or two years of college. Um, the, the adult section, um, so, yeah, so we we have started to see the fruits of the work that the juvenile section um, has done. So the standards are improving. And while we don't have any Division One teams, I've no doubt that we will be feasting at the top table in, in years to come. And you know that's why I'm doing the job that I'm doing. Um, look, I do want you know in conjunction with a lot of other volunteers. Um, wants us to be playing at the highest level. Um, but we are where we are. So like our, our adult men's team, so we've got uh, three adult men's football teams, uh, division three, five, and 10. Um, and this is the business end of the season. So at the moment, it's the junior four are in the championship semi-final. Um, the, so our, 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 our division three team, we have seen a lot of, improvements we've got an excellent um management team in place and again you know volunteers ex-players you know coming back and putting it in um, and i'm hoping that like within the next couple of years we will we'll see a rise uh, up the divisions our adult uh, hurling so we're in division two six and nine so we've got a, a very interesting weekend ahead so uh, the three teams are in championship semi-finals. Um, division two are in intermediate championship. Uh, six are in junior C, and then division nine are in junior F. Uh, turning to ladies football, we have two teams, uh, division four and division eight. And this is the first year now that we've had two minor teams with uh, uh, one winning the division three championship. And then... Uh, our camogies come on leaps and bounds to the, the stewardship and, and direction of uh, of like uh, all stern you know 18 year Dublin veteran Louise O'Hara um, so we're in division two five and seven and division two team won the shield final there about a week and a half ago and um, yeah so probably all in all like we the club are in a um, it's it's a transition period, but it's a it's an upward trajectory. I think that we're we're going in, um, and we've got some really really good people, you know, uh, standing four square behind our, our our push forward. Great, great to hear. Um, tell us a bit a bit more about the the work you're doing at at juvenile level. You say you've been doing that for the last ten years or so, and and Laura's doing great work there as the GPO in the club. How many? Uh, underage members juvenile members you have at the club and i guess where where do they train where do they on i'm sure saturday morning is the place to be around around the club as well so uh, tell yeah. us a bit more, bit more about the work that you do there at, at juvenile level so I, I kind of from 
you know, over the last number of years, my focus has always been on facilities. So it's it's a case of building, they will come. And um, so on a Saturday morning, um, so we have started. So I probably will talk further later on about uh, the redevelopment of our old pitch and putt course. So um, at the moment now on Saturday mornings, um, Laura and the team of uh, volunteers um, have all the untreated six-year-olds. Uh, we call them the grasshoppers. I know they call different teams with different clubs. So they'd be down there between 10 and quarter past 11. Um, and then they've got access now to our juvenile room. We have the coffee shop open. So we try to create a really good environment for the kids and the parents to, um, to come down to. Um, and then the club from... You know, all day Saturday, it's it's it kind of empties out and then fills up again with the under sevens, the under eights, the under nines. You know, so we do have uh, multiple teams at every age group. So the place gets rammed. So we've got you know a pitch outside the. So we've got two senior pitches inside our gates and a juvenile pitch. So we have multiple teams and multiple games going all day Saturday and Sunday, and um, and then we have Farnham and Drive present outside the gate, and um, where again. Uh, that will be stacked and racked on Saturdays. Um, yeah, like the work to be done, it's been done by, you know, the, the juvenile chairman, Paul Drum, the uh, uh, Gaffney and uh, Ashley Draper, like the, you know, just putting good structures in place, making sure that, you know, the coaches don't want for anything. Um, you know, try and make sure that every coach, you know, has, you know, a foundation and then a level one course. Um, and then we've got a lot of, good things kind of coming down the pipe in our strategic plan and um, so and it, it, a lot of it involves strength conditioning and um, you know and that can be applied to every age group as long as it's age appropriate strength conditioning um, so yeah so again so we, we are set, starting to see the, the fruits of of their labors coming into uh, the adult section and um, you know and you start to see the levels uh, and the standards of play uh, are you know, they get there and you know, when we can compete with, you know, with Kim McCord and Balbos and Enders and you know, uh, and Nafina and so on, um, that's when we know that we we're we're doing the job right. Brilliant. Um the I guess the the work you you mentioned already the work that you do um you know in terms of the community, you spoke about the bursaries that you do and, and the kind of work you do with in, in that regard, which is fantastic. Tell us a little bit more about that. Uh obviously I mean that's that's the kind of aim of, of a lot of GA clubs and what maybe the GA, a GA club should be is a lot more than just what goes on on the pitch and what goes on uh, off the pitch as well. And you seem to be doing a lot of great work in terms of helping people uh, get through college, which is a fantastic initiative in terms of uh, getting people from around the club to, to help students uh, who are starting off college. Yeah, yeah. So like this, this probably derived from say a previous development plan going back. Maybe 10, 15 years ago, um, and you know, one of the clubmen, Stan Brannigan, would have you know taken the bull by the horns, and he put a fantastic kind of program together with the assistance of a number of other people. So, so um, like apart from the the, the like we would get say uh, school teachers in and do grinds on you know it could be the core subjects. Uh, again, it expands every year, and. Um, you know, one of some of the big things uh, would be uh, to invite, say, past members of Erin's Oil that have made it big, and um, you know that, uh, such as, uh, um, we, we've got a few people that that 
uh, have, have developed very successful businesses and um, like Mark Murphy, who's the, the CEO of, of uh, Ergo, uh, sorry, Finergo. So that's, you know, a 1.2 billion company. He came back and had a talk with us. Uh, you know, Kevin Neary, he came back, the founder member of, of uh, GameStop. And so all these people coming back, you know, saying what the club means to them. You know, you're talking, you're trying to inspire these young people that don't, don't, you know, you know, don't restrict your, 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 yourselves. No, think big. And so, um, yeah, so that's unfortunately, like we, we've, we've, we've have been curtailed during COVID, but, um, again, we, we have a, a team of people to just to drive ourselves forward. It'd be, it'll be from 2022 now. Um, and we know the importance of it. We know the importance of one of the big impetus was that we, 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 we needed to increase that transition from adult sorry, from junior, uh, juvenile into adult. And this was one of those things that, okay, let's, let's, let's try this. And we tried it, it's very successful, it's well supported, it does cost a lot of funding, um, but, you know, um, with, you know, with contributions from individuals and from the club, it, it's something that we find very, very important, and we will continue to, to, to fund it going forward. Yeah, it's a really good idea, I have to say. Um, so it's great to hear that. Um, tell us about the challenges that you face as a club in, in the in the area and in general. Obviously, COVID posed uh, pose a lot of challenges for a lot of clubs. So tell us about the challenges yeah. that uh, you face as well, well over the last 18 months, but also yeah. in general. And like apart, like apart from no revenue coming in, um, which has been hard, but we, 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 are, we were able to stay by stuff like with, Good kind of financial stewardship, and um, you know we, we were uh, we we came out of it okay, and so we a bunch of us turned a, a, a negative into a positive, and we we tackled some much needed improvements, and you know items such as like we we extended our gym, and then we restocked the gym just with uh, more up to date uh, equipment. So we do have a state of the art gym there that so we don't have an excuse, and. Um, We've created a function room that when we were to open that it uh, has created a revenue stream that we're starting to see now. Um, and then we modernized our, our bar, um, uh, mostly the seating area, updated the toilets, um, uh, and then we introduced a, a hot food option as well. Um, so probably somebody said the broader challenges. So um, we had just finished phase two of the redevelopment project of, um, of the uh, the old Pidget Port area. And so I think in total, we were spending about 450,000 um, between site clearance, the drainage, um, the drainage works, the light base ducting for our, our new sand-based pitch. So, so our, our upcoming challenge um, in 2022 is, you now we need substantial funding for floodlighting and for the gold in that area. and. Uh, netting so we have applied for a sports capital grant so please god we we are successful and um, but if we're not then we have to go to um plan b um but one of the other challenges that we've encountered is that that we've engaged over the last year or so just with the, the lewis fingless route so the new preferred route that's coming out in the next couple of weeks will uh it, it the the train 
tracks will be going through our pitch outside of our gate. So we do have health and safety concerns as like everyone uh, wanting to use our pitch in the say the newly positioned pitch and um, they'll have to cross over train tracks the cycle track and uh, pedestrian track so in fairness to the Dukes project team and um, headed by the transport transport infrastructure ireland and um, their engagements to date have been very positive and um, so like we will work with them and um, but like we will use the lose the use of our pitch for a number of months and um, but that's just something that we have to work with and um, so that's due to come on stream now in 2027 so and um, we're just playing the, the long game and we just continually with a positive engagement with the uh, with those uh, uh, the, with the design team so and um, in, ter- in terms of aims for the future, then I mean, like you've, you've spoken already about some of the some of the work that you want to get done in terms of the pitches and stuff. Is there anything else that you're looking to grow? I'm sure continue to grow the club over the next yeah. uh, ten years. You've spoken about the work that's gone on at underage level and at juvenile level. But I'm sure you know one of your big aims is to try and continue to grow the to grow the club, um, and you know working uh, to to improve pitches and facilities as well. Yeah, like, so like from a games perspective, like you know. The greater level of transition between juvenile and and adults. Like the only way the club is going to continue if if we've con- you know that transition uh, continues and those adults playing at whatever level they are, then they put back in. You know that they become the next chairperson, that they become the next fixtures. They they're the new coaches. Um, so in order for the club to survive and thrive, that's where we have to go. Um, you know. Um, just from a previous podcast, I totally agree with the Nightborough chairman that having two teams, especially at, at our club size, you know, we don't we don't have the luxury of having four or five teams, um, you know, at certain levels. Um, why some teams go ahead with it, I think it's just absolutely ludicrous because the the losers are the kids that can't get on onto a team. You know, us striving to have two teams at every age group um, is, you know. It, it's fundamental just to ensure that every kid will get a game. And um, probably one of the, the things that, in, probably in the short term, that you know, uh, that I've been working at over the last, God, it's about five years now, I've been working with Dublin City Council on getting a, a full size um, all right pitch in the Finglas area. And um, so this will be a, a municipal resource. So it will be managed through a, uh, a, a limited company. Um, and ourselves and Rivermount um, will be anchor tenants. Um, so it'll be a fantastic facility for us. You know, uh, all the, the soundings have been very, very positive. Um, so the latest feedback that we're getting is that the budget has been passed. So for 2022 and 2023, so uh, the project is due to start next year with completion Q1. Um, 2023. So having a, a flood full size all weather surface, which will be about 600 yards away from the club gates, um, will be uh, will be game. It'll be a game changer during the winter months, as you alluded to earlier on. You know, I think we've something like 76 teams, um, trying to find space for them. It's a premium. It's you know Lewis is going through. It's going to affect our Mellows pitch. 
up in Fingers West, our pitch outside the gate. You know, each time there seems to be a, a role development between, you know, uh, the N2, uh, where we lost two pitches in Salog, to the M50 being built, we lost a pitch there. Um, we're continually growing, but we're continually losing pitches. So, um, you know, green space is a premium, especially when you see the, the number of apartments that they're squeezing into the Dublin 11 area. Um, you know, I don't know if anybody's driven past it soon, but it, it's, you know, they're, they're, they're squeezing in thousands of apartments, which, you know, would, would be great for the growth of the area. But God, you have to put in the facilities behind it. And you have to support clubs like ourselves that are trying to do our best, you know, and we are volunteer driven. Um, but, you know, every bit of help would be very much appreciated. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, any help appreciated. There's plenty of ways. I'm sure there are plenty of people who want to get involved with a club like Aaron's Isle, uh, and plenty of people around the Aaron's Isle area who would like to get involved. Tell us how they would get involved with the club because a lot of people maybe m might not know how to, you know, drop down to the club or yeah. how to get involved with the club. So tell us how to how if you're in the locality or if you want to get involved with Aaron's Isle, how to get involved. Yeah, look, I, I'd implore anybody that wants to get involved, any ex-player. Um, and the ex-player, we have, you know, we have, you know, a, a golf society. Get involved in that. Get involved in some way, and then give back to the club. If if you're in the area and you're not from a Gaelic background, but you want to, uh, you want your kids involved, either come down on a Saturday morning. You'll see the vibrancy that we have down there. Ask anybody to refer you on to somebody that will guide you in the right direction. You know, if you're shy and you don't want to make that physical approach, just get onto our social media platforms, whether it's Facebook or uh, Instagram. Um, I'm sure there's a few more that um, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not on top of. But yeah, listen, you know, you know where you are. Like, we don't have gates, you know, because so our gates aren't, uh, you know, it's not the fact that they're never closed. We don't have gates. We don't have gates for a reason. Everybody's welcome. You know, everybody is welcome. So come down, get involved, um, and, you know, just help us. Help us just, you know, progress to the next level at whatever level that is. Great. So I know the website as well, erinsilegaa.com, I'm sure, is a way to get involved as well. But uh, as you mentioned, all the uh, social media channels are dropped down to the club to uh, – to get involved as well. A lot of great work going on at Aaron's Isle. You can see that from the work you're doing both on the pitch, as you mentioned, juvenile and, and adult level, and also off the pitch, the, the initiatives you have to help the communities and education and things like that are, are fantastic as well. And obviously a huge amount of uh, uh, good, you know, um, things happening in the future as well with the club in terms of facilities and pitches. We hope they all go very well for you over the next uh, few months and and years as well. Paul, thanks a million for joining us and telling, all, telling us all about Aaron's Isle. No, but thanks, Dad. Could I just finish just by um, just wishing uh, an old teammate, um, club and Dublin legend, Charlie Redmond, uh, all the best. He's recovering in uh, in hospital at the moment. So wish him all the best and um, let's drop down to the club soon when you've recovered. Great stuff. And so say all of us here in Dublin GA as well. Paul, Cheers. thanks a million for joining Cheers, us. Sir. God bless you. Bye -bye. Paul Campbell there, the Aaron's Isle chairman. And that is the Go Ahead Dublin Championship show for this week. A reminder that the Go Ahead Dublin Senior A hurling semi-finals take place.
this weekend. It's Luke and Sarsfields versus Nafina. First up on Sunday afternoon with throw-in at half past one. And Chemical Croaks taking on Kula with throw-in in that one on Sunday afternoon at 3.45. Match tickets are available to buy now on the Dublin GAA website. That's dubbingaa.ie. And both games will be available to watch on your screens as well. Luke and Sarsfields versus Nafina is live on Dubs TV on Sunday. Again, throwing there at half past one. And the Chemical Croaks versus Kula tie will be live on TG Cahar with throw-in for that one at 3.45. We're going to be back next week to look back on those semi-final ties. But for now, thanks for tuning in and goodbye. <laughs>